1: To be in the presence of the Lord today. Amen. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and tell him, say, You look amazing today. Amen. And for a lot of you, it really is true. You really do look amazing today. Amen. I just want to say how awesome it is to be in the house of the Lord. And I want you to know God is doing some amazing stuff in the middle of this series on the Ten Commandments. Um, we're halfway through. Someone con- Last week was Honor Your Mother and Father. Someone contacted me on Monday that they had not spoken to their mother in over 24 years. And that afternoon they called their mother and God healed their relationship. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> you can't make that up, guys. That's, that's just the Lord. I love that. And there were other testimonies, too. I won't take the time to share them because I'm going to be a little long today. I just need you to say a prayer for me today. I've been sick the last few days. I, I was praying I'd get enough voice for this sermon. I promise you I'm going to give you everything that I've got today. So I just, can you give me everything you got? Amen. I'm gonna give it all and then I'm gonna go home and lay down and watch football. Amen. I might even treat myself to some hot wings if I do good today. Amen. <laughs> Come on, girl, and Krispy Kreme. And let the church say, Amen. Glory. I felt that all the way up my spine. Don't make me do the huckabuck up here. Amen. Hallelujah. Alright, well we are in a study on the Ten Commandments and we're in the second half of our sermon series on the Ten Commandments. I mentioned to you last week that the first four commandments have to do with our vertical relationship with God, right? You shall have no other gods before me. Don't make or worship idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Last week we went into the horizontal commandments and deal with our relationships with others. And we began with the message on Honor Your Mother and Father. Today I want to talk about another subject, and my subject today is the value of life. The value of life. And I want us to go to command number six and see how it applies to our lives. It's real short, don't miss it. From the New King James Version, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13 says this, You shall not murder. Exodus 20, 13, from the New Living Translation, you must not murder. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, no murder from the message, no murder. Now, I'm going to tell you in advance that today is going to be way heavier on the teaching side instead of the preaching side due to the nature of this commandment. I'm also going to tell you, I'm going to probably say some things that are going to offend some of you today. And I I mean this, I don't say that arrogantly, because it's never my intent to offend, but I still need to talk about some stuff today that needs to be said, amen? I got over the fear of offending people a long time ago, because a whole lot of people have left this place because they don't like what I say, that's all right, love you, find a place where you can feel at home, and that's okay, amen? But this command is very simple, yet it's very complicated. You shall not murder. The command seems like it should be quite straightforward. Oh, let me press my start button. Oh, I, I squeezed in a couple extra minutes on y'all. Hallelujah. Oh, it won't go. So y'all are in real trouble. <laughs> there we go. It sounds very straightforward, yet it's often misinterpreted. It's misapplied. It's misunderstood. In its basic form... This command states, thank you, Mike. I asked him to bring me hot tea today, so that's what you'll see me drinking to keep me going. Thank you, sir. It's lemon tea, which is nasty. I feel like I'm drinking liquid pledge. But that's all if right. It'll help, help the throat, amen. Here's what the command states in effect. No one but God has the right to take the life of an innocent human being. That's what it says. God created and sustains us, and He alone has the right to number man's days and determine when we should die. First Samuel chapter 2 and verse 6 says, The Lord gives both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but He raises others up. No murder. That's what the command says. First word, no, is pretty clear, right? Pretty easy to understand that part, right? Everybody say no. Everybody know what no means, amen? No in the Greek means no. Not really, but you get the the message. But the question is, what does God mean exactly by the word murder? Now, part of the confusion, and I I don't want to offend any of my King James loving friends, but part of the confusion about this commandment comes from the King James translation of the Bible which is a good English translation, but it's an older style of English. And here's how the King James interprets Exodus twenty thirteen: Thou shalt not kill. Here's where the confusion comes in. We misunderstand the difference between the word kill and murder. I'm going to talk about this today. Thinking kill instead of murder has caused some people to think you should never defend yourself. You should hold a position of extreme pacifism, or all killing must be wrong. But to be clear, God is not a pacifist, and the Bible does not present God as a pacifist. The Bible, correctly translated, does not tell us, thou shalt not kill. It says we should not murder. And so understanding this word is very important, because it refers to such things as violent and unauthorized killing, uh, personal vengeance, revenge, and yes, good old-fashioned murder. Now, taking a human life obviously is never a good thing, but there are always uh, but there are ways that taking a life is justified, and there are ways that taking a life is unjustified. So, part of the complexity is we can't just simply say you should never kill anyone. There must be restrictions, though, on this. Or we'll end up with mass murder, terrorism, anarchy, unjust wars. The state and national government can be out of control, slaughtering uh, innocent civilians. So we need to unpack this word today and really look at what God means by this word. Is that alright? The most obvious meaning of this commandment is that we're not to unjustifiably kill another person. The prohibition against murder appears in all five books of the Torah or the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In fact, it's the only law to be repeated in every one of those books. Now, you may believe that murder is wrong because society says so, but hear me, it is much bigger than that. This is a God thing, not a societal thing. Now, the reason that matters is is because we cannot allow society to dictate what is right and unright cl- killing. Because if you believe the society decides, then you would have to respect that in Nazi Germany and in much of Eastern Europe, it was acceptable to kill Jews, gypsies, homosexuals, the severely retarded, and any other group that they deemed inferior. Hitler came to power through a democratic process, and the support of the people was what kept him in power. So German society at that time said murder and genocide was acceptable. Do you understand what I'm saying? Today, there are societies where it is acceptable to murder certain ethnic groups. That's happening right now in Europe, and it's happening in Africa. It is acceptable in many Islamic societies to murder homosexuals or to murder Westerners because they're infidels. So hear me, the fact that something is approved by society does not make it right. Amen? Let's establish that fact. Try to build a foundation here today, and hear me—that's critical to your thinking, because murder is manifesting itself in ways today that society is trying to get us to not classify as murder, things like suicide, euthanasia, and abortion. And I'm going to talk about all of those today. So just, just get your seatbelts on, Amen. I don't want to offend anybody. But i got to talk about these things because we've allowed society to affect our view as believers of what is life and what is not life, what is valuable and what is not valuable. So, so if you're not a believer or if you think that what I'm going to say is going to hurt your feelings, I'm just going to ask you to hear me out because I'm going to try to cover it all. Killing animals, war, capital punishment, euthanasia, suicide, and abortion. All this in 40 minutes. Pray for me. Amen. Because hear me, it's all covered, or it's at least affected by this command, do not murder. Murder is not wrong because society says it's wrong. Murder is wrong because God says it is wrong. Murder is wrong because life is a gift from God. And every murder is a direct attack on God. Hear me. What we're finding in the Ten Commandments is that God is trying to orchestrate and organize our hearts and our lives and our minds and our culture in a way that is God-centered. God-centered with laws, and with truth. God is the author of life. God is the one who is sovereign over life. God has all authority over human life. In the book of Genesis, it says, you should not murder anyone, and if you murder someone, then you should be killed because people bear the image and likeness of God. That's what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6. If anyone takes a human life That person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. Don't miss the four part. The reason there is such a severe penalty for killing someone unjustifiably is because that person, no matter how wicked they are, is made in the image of God. This is biblical thinking. This is not evolutionary thinking. In evolutionary thinking... As human beings, we're just the lucky animals at the top of the food chain, right? In biblical thinking, though, we are image bearers of God. Amen. All the way back in Genesis, God made animals, He loved them, He provided for them, He cared for them. Talks about the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, fish of the sea. But then, God makes man and woman, the Bible says, He breathed life into us. And we became His image, we became His likeness. So human beings are in a category below God and above the rest of the animals. Amen. I'm better than a gorilla, I'm better than a dog, I'm better than a cat, I'm better than a cow. God did not make us on that level. So when it comes to the issue of murder, God says, don't murder. Not because it's rude or selfish, but because people bear His image. So to murder a person is not only to do violence against that person, but to do violence against God. To murder, it's not just a social issue, it's a God issue. It's an offense not just against that person, but it's an offense against the God who made them. When you murder a person, it's as if you're declaring war on God. Hear me. Because you're attacking the person that bears the image that He gave them. People are made in God's image and likeness. Therefore, they have dignity, they have value, they have worth. They are to be treated with love, value, equality, and respect. I saw a video clip of a, guy, uh, of a guy, uh, uh, guy dressed in a suit walking with his buddy on a street in New York and there was a homeless guy laying there. And he wasn't even doing anything. He was just laying there under blank and this guy just starts kicking him and then he keeps on walking. I thought, man, what a, what a dog. What a dirty dog that would do something like that to another human being, especially somebody, especially someone who's already down in life. Human life has value. So let's talk about what does this command say and what does it not say. So let me me begin with the easy one first, okay? What about the killing of animals? The Bible's very clear about the difference between human life and animal life. You might say, man, why are you even talking about this? Because we live in a messed up world. (laughs) We got people thinking that animals are on the same level as we are. They are not on the same level as we are. Amen? We need to understand there is a hierarchy of life. God made it very clear in the beginning. Go to Genesis chapter 9, verse 1 through 6, while I have a sip of my pledge. Ah, You can see the dust coming off of the countertop now. Genesis 9, 1 through 6. Are you ready? Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, all the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sky, all the small animals that scurry along the ground, all the fish in the sea. Look will look on you with fear and terror. I have placed them in your power. I have given them to you for food, just as I have given you grain and vegetables. Now, I don't want to offend anybody. God just put dogs and cats on the same level as bananas and oranges. (laughs) I mean, just as I've given you grain and vegetables. I'm talking about as far as for our sustenance goes. And verse 5, I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. And anyone who murders a fellow human must die. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in His own image. Now there's a lot in these verses. But in regard to animals, God says, I've given them to you for food. Now guys, it doesn't mean we can mistreat animals or be cruel to them. I love animals. I've... I've had dogs my entire life up until a few years ago when my 16-year-old dog died. I love, I love animals, right? So I'm not advocating cruelty to animals at all. But human life is of higher value than animal life. There is no indication anywhere that an animal has a soul. There's no indication that Jesus died for animals. There's no indication that animals will receive the resurrection of the dead and be part of the eternal kingdom of God. There's no indication for that. Some of you are getting really quiet and sad right now. But that's because human beings bear the image and likeness of God. Jesus died for people. And people will be judged by God and live forever because they possess a soul. I love animals and I love certain types of animals with steak sauce. <laughs> I love some animals with barbecue sauce. <laughs> Hallelujah. So don't go overboard on your value of animal life. It is not equal to human life. Genesis 1:28. then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Notice, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the skies, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. God said, You are in charge, and I've given them to you for food. Pretty simple. All right, now let's move on to some tougher issues. Because they involve human life. What about capital punishment? What about war? Can the state or government take a life through capital punishment? Now I recognize that there are governments that are godless and unjust. But hear me. The answer to an abuse of authority is not the absence of authority. It is the right use of authority. Just because there's some bad authority does not mean we... Eliminate authority. We have to justifiably use authority. Amen. So God not only tells us not to murder individually, but he even gives commands to governments nationally. One of them is Romans 13, 1 through 4. Turn in your Bible there. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authorities come from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Even the ones you don't like. Can I just tell you, even the ones you didn't vote for. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. (laughs) In other words, laws are always for the lawless, right? Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Here's your answer. Do what's right. They will honor you. The authorities, verse 4, are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid. For they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. Stephen, I didn't ask you this, but I see you in your uniform. Would you mind to walk up here, please? Stephen Newsom, why don't we give one of our many law enforcement officers walk up here with me? Matter of fact, since this is such a sensitive subject, would you mind just stand up there the whole time while I speak today? (laughs) Because I, uh, I got some dirty looks when I said dogs were the equivalent of bananas and apples. Amen. (laughs) But now, let me talk to you about governmental authority. See, God delegates authority to us. God is the sovereign authority, right? But did you know every parent, every police officer, every soldier, every government official is the recipient of delegated authority? Authority that God has given to us derivatively. Has sent down. God gives me and my wife certain authority over my my children. Now that my children are over, are older and adults, they have authority over their children. Now Stephen Newsom, you see this little shiny thing right here. If Stephen Newsom stops you on the way home, he's not stopping you in the name of Stephen Newsom. He's stopping you in the name of the Hanover County Sheriff's Department, and I highly recommend you pull over and listen to what he says. Because, see, if you don't recognize this, you might have to, and I don't want to break any laws, you might have to deal with this. Thank you. And if you're really bad and this doesn't work, he's got a couple of things on his hip that he doesn't want to use, but he's authorized to use. Now, do you know why we have given Stephen Newsom the authority? And he would never want to do it unless he absolutely had to. But he is even authorized to take your life and my life. If we break the law or if we jeopardize someone else's life, you want to know why? Because governmental authority has given him this right in order to keep us from living in anarchy in order to keep us from living in chaos. Amen? There has to be authority. Thank you, Steve. Let's give him a big hand. So I'm just telling you, you can can complain all you want to about the government and and even about the police, but I'm going to tell you, you do not want to live for one week in a country that did not have either one of those. (laughs) Take me to the mountains, find me a cave, put a rock in front of it. Because that's the kind of world we're going to live in if you don't have authority. So regarding capital punishment, does the state have a right to, on occasion, according to the teachings of the Bible, enact capital punishment, taking the life of its citizens? The answer is yes. Now I know a lot of Christians that love Jesus just as much as I do that disagree. But there are over two dozen Old Testament occasions in which capital punishment was sanctioned by God. In order to maintain order in our society, He has allowed human governments to enforce the law and punish wrongdoers. Leviticus 24, 17, I want you to see this. Anyone who takes another person's life must be put to death. That was Old Testament law. Amen. Anyone who takes another person's life must be put to death. Well, some people say, I don't think capital punishment really deters criminals. Criminals. Well, i tell you one thing, it deters the the one who just got executed. He ain't going to murder anybody else. He's not going to rape anybody else. Capital punishment says that there is a significant consequence for certain types of law-breaking. It helps maintain civic order. It helps maintain social order. And hear me, the threat of severe punishment does keep some people restricted in their behavior. Now, I cannot statistically prove this, and this is not in the Bible, and I'm just going to give you my opinion. If every person that we knew 100% committed a murder unjustifiably was executed, you would see the crime rates drop in this country by astronomical proportions. It would. Because people would say, if I take their life, I'm going to lose my life. If you cannot call the police, and if you can't get your day in court, and if there was no prison system, and if there was no capital punishment, you know another thing that capital punishment helps deter? Vigilante justice. It helps mitigate personal vengeance. If somebody killed your family and you didn't think you would ever have a day in court to get justice, guess what you would probably do? That's another reason capital punishment helps. The result would be a culture of anarchy. We'd be living in the wild, wild west all over again. So God does sanction capital punishment. God says that murder is so serious, it is such a violation of the fact that we are created in the image of God, that he says this in Exodus twenty-one twelve. Look at this. Here's another version of that same verse. Anyone who assaults and kills another person must be put to death. Those who oppose capital punishment say this. We value human life so much that we believe that nobody has the right to take the life of somebody else. We should never exercise capital punishment because human life is sacred. That's the way the argument goes. And to be honest, on some levels, I get that. I understand that. But did you know what I think God says? Our opinion like that is too low. Human life is more sacred than that. Human life is so sacred that if somebody takes the life of another person, To remind others of the sacredness of human life and to deter others from doing it, you have to take his or her life. That's why I believe the Bible sanctions capital punishment. In fact, if you're still unconvinced, look again at what he said in Genesis 9, 5 through 6. This is really the whole argument for capital punishment. It's because human life is so sacred. Look what God says, Genesis 9 and 5. I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. And anyone who murders a fellow human must die. Verse 6, if anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. Why? Here it is. God made human beings in His own image. God says you can't do that. If you take somebody else's life, your life should be taken. Now, I will say this, the only argument against capital punishment that I can possibly think of is plausible is that you ought to have, beyond any shadow of a doubt, 100% proof, no reasonable doubt, that that person is innocent. That's what I think. And if there's any chance they could be innocent, capital punishment should not be considered. Now, that's just my personal opinion. Amen? Why is capital punishment okay? Because God says human life is important. Amen. Now, what about war? Does the government, does a nation ever have a right to go to war? The answer is yes. You see that in the Old Testament as well. We are not theocratic Israel, but there are occasions where God's people went to war. There's even war heroes in the Bible that are celebrated because of their ability to kill their enemy. King David was one of those. There are some things worth fighting for and even worth dying for. And I'm not just up here waving a big flag, but it's right to fight in order to preserve freedom, and to defend innocent people, and to stop the spread of evil. It's right. Can somebody who thinks it's right say amen? Here's what German Protestant minister Martin Niemoller said about the Nazis. And I quote, When Hitler attacked the Jews, I was not a Jew, therefore I was not concerned. And when Hitler attacked the Catholics, I was not a Catholic, and therefore I was not concerned. And when Hitler attacked the unions and the industrialists, I was not a member of the unions, so I was not concerned. Then Hitler attacked me and the Protestant church, and there was nobody left to be concerned. There was nobody left. Edmund Burke said this, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing historically, studying the scriptures in their totality, not just proof texting, biblical Christian theologians have come up with something called the concept of just war or the just war theory. I don't want to bore you with this, but I think it fits well here. Go home and Google it. Study it if you're you're into that kind of stuff. It's very interesting. I spent a lot of time looking at this. The idea was for Christian theologians to establish in their minds What were justifiable wars? Are certain wars murderous and then are others justifiable? And they gave seven points called the just war theory. And I'm just going to give you quickly the bullet points on how do you determine if a war is justified. These were by Christian theologians, guys much smarter than I am. Here were the seven points. Number one, is it a legitimate authority? Meaning, it is it a government or is it just a band of rebels or anarchists or terrorists, not a legitimate authority? That was number one. Number two, is it defensive and not offensive? In other words, are you not the one who is instigating hosti- hostility or are you defending your citizens? Number three, is it for a noble cause? If it's not, if it's just because it could affect your economy or your bottom line, that is not entirely a just Cause. Number four, are you using proportional force? If you drop a nuclear bomb to kill 10 terrier, terrorists, that's probably not proportional force. We send in Navy SEALs for that, right? Okay, number five, are soldiers and not civilians targeted? Are there a bunch of innocent people who really are caught in the middle? Number six, does it ultimately preserve more lives than it takes? And number seven, is it a last resort? Have you tried diplomacy and everything else? That you could possibly conceive of. I think that's a pretty good list. Pretty good list of things. Admittedly guys war is always a difficult decision. Theologians will debate it every time a nation goes to war. Whether or not it constitutes a just war. Not just theologians but now the general public. And we have a right so to do so. Right? We shouldn't just blindly turn. Every time we go somewhere just say oh it must be okay. We, we need to know. We need to pray for our leaders. Uh, in an age of terrorism and nuclear bombs and preemptive strikes, I'm not going to pretend this is a very complicated issue. I would hate to be the guy or on the group of guys and ladies that determine whether we go in and attack somebody. You know why? Because life has value. And it needs to be justified. We need to pray for our leaders that even if they don't know the Lord, that God would give them wisdom. Amen? So, let me shift away from the government. Time for another slip sip of pledge let me talk about suicide and euthanasia if you notice every time this is getting deeper and deeper every time according to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States 2017 over 47,000 Americans died by suicide 2017, there were an estimated 1.4 million suicide attempts. That's just the ones reported. Men die by suicide three and a half times more than women. I didn't know that. White males account for almost 70% of suicide deaths. So it's white men who are killing themselves 70% of the time. On average, there are over 129 suicides per day in the United States. Now, needless to say, suicide is a heartbreaking issue. It's heartbreaking. It's obviously connected to mental health, emotional health, a season of life, a difficult place somebody might be in, depression. Some people think, well, it's my life and I have a right to live it and end it as I want. I want to address that. The Bible disagrees with that. Job chapter 14 and verse 5 says, You have decided the length of our lives talking about God. You know how many months we will live, and we are not given a minute longer. Romans 14, 7 and 8 says, For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. See, our bodies are not ours to do with as we wish. God decides the number of days that we're going to live and He doesn't want us to try and short-circuit our lifespan. I've heard people say, well, that must have just been there a lot of number of days. Not always. Sometimes we preempt God's plan, I believe, by foolish and reckless behavior. And I think sometimes, in some cases, by people taking their own lives. Most of us, at different times, have felt Despair. Some of us maybe to even question, is my life worth living? So I just want to say, if you have ever considered suicide, first of all, I want you to remember you're not alone. You're not the only person that's ever thought that. But secondly, there is hope. There is hope. Amen. There is hope for a better and brighter day. In this audience, and I'm looking around here, I want you to know you matter to God. You were created in His image. That's why I said all I did before. That's why He values life so much. You were created in His image and you have value. You have worth. You have a purpose. Even if you don't know what it is right now, and even if it just seems like the dark clouds, you can't see any light at all. You have a purpose. First Corinthians six 19, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? you do not belong to yourself. Don't miss that. You don't belong to yourself. Suicide is taking rightful authority away from God. Think of it this way. If God does not allow me to kill somebody else, why would He allow me to kill myself? Amen? See, suicide at its root, we don't People who commit suicide usually don't realize this, but really, it's a very selfish crime. People say, well, when I commit suicide, I'm going to be out of people's way and everybody's going to be happy. Man, that is not true at all. You leave a wake of destruction. Who's going to find you? Who's going to take care of the funeral arrangements? Who is going to miss you every single day of their life? Who is going to spend the rest of their life asking, what if, what if? Please, if you feel thoughts of taking your own life, I want to ask you to reach out to somebody. Talk to somebody. I know we're not hanging from the chandeliers today, but I'm trying to help somebody. Get help. Get help. Because hear me, you're not a bad person. You might just be going through a dark season. You might have a chemical imbalance that's making you think incorrectly. You might even be taking some meds that are leading you to, to, to wrong thoughts. There's a lot of things that can affect you. So please get help. Amen? There is help today. Now, what about euthanasia? Some of you are, what's euthanasia? It's mercy killing. Euthanasia. It means to cause the death of someone because of deformity, old age, or an incurable disease. They also call it physician-assisted suicide or to try to make it look pretty, death with dignity. Don't let those cute terms fool you. I want to be clear. Allowing death to occur naturally is God's plan. Now, also, by removing life support, by discontinuing medicines, that's not suicide. That is not euthanasia. And I'm going to tell you, I just lived through this recently with my father. There came a point where keeping him alive was actually being more harmful to him than good. There came a point where we had to pray and say, Lord, if it is your will for my father to live, heal him and let him live. But we had to make some decisions about the kind of medical care he was receiving. We had to come to a point where the dialysis was almost killing him. Every time he had dialysis, he would have a stroke. And at some point, we had to reckon with the fact, and I hope I'm helping somebody today by sharing this very personal story. But we had to reckon with the fact, are we keeping him alive for him or are we keeping him alive for us? So you know what we did? We prayed over him. We said, God, if you want him to live, let him live. But we are not going to put him through this inhumane treatment any longer. And we stopped the treatment. And within a matter of days, he went on to be with the Lord. So what am I saying? We were keeping him alive artificially. That's different than euthanasia euthanasia is where you willfully and intentionally take the life of someone under the guise of alleviating their pain or allowing them to die in dignity. And guys, the reason I'm talking about this, this is a big deal. And it's getting bigger every day and we got to pay attention to this because letting you die when you're at the end of life is not where this is going to stop. This is why it's why I got to talk about this today. As of 2019, California, Colorado, Uh, District of Columbia, Hawaii, Maine as of September, uh, uh, New Jersey as of August, Oregon, Vermont, Washington have what they call death with dignity statutes. In Montana, physician-assisted dying has been legal by the state Supreme Court since 2009. uh, Physician-assisted death or aid in dying is legal in those nine jurisdictions. Now the world's pioneer in this, the Netherlands, has discovered that legalizing euthanasia, guess what it's done? They've been doing this for 20-some, 30-some years. It's created a lot of problems they didn't anticipate. What was originally introduced to provide relief to late-stage cancer patients has now been expanded to include people who might have otherwise lived for years. People with muscular dystrophy, people with dementia, and even mentally ill young people they are now allowing them to kill those people. I've got to ask you, who's making the decision for the person with muscular dystrophy? Who's making the decision for the lady with dementia? Who's making the decision for the mentally ill young person? You tell me they don't have a right to live. Notice, it's not end-of-life issues, but the bar has been lowered to quality-of-life issues. You might say, well, that doesn't affect us. It will one day. It will when they say your mom and dad are too much of a drain on society so we can't afford to give them the medicines anymore, let them die. Oh, that'll never happen here. It's already happening here. It's already happening here. Don't be fooled. One day, this will become old people who can't contribute financially anymore to society. Or people that are sick and cannot afford their medicines. Why not just let them die? Or children, where does this stop? See, the problem is we started taking into our hands what belongs to God's hands. Let's stick to God's plan. Let's stick to God's plan. Job chapter 12, verse 10. For the life of every living being, every living thing is in His hand and the breath of every human being. Now, let me talk about the last issue, abortion. Did you know a lot of churches don't even mention that word anymore because it's become so politically divisive. That's one lie that the enemy sold us is, is that it's a political issue. This is not a political issue. You know what? I, and I'm just gonna be real blunt today. Some of you might get mad and never come back. We've made abortion a Republican and Democrat issue. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves as believers, amen. A lot of pulpits are silent about this, but we need to speak up. People like to glamorize this issue by calling it pro-choice or a woman's right to choose. But the real issue is very simple. Is abortion the taking of an unborn life? Don't let the semantics confuse you. What we're talking about is not choice. We're talking about life or death. When does life begin? Hear me. This is not a religious argument. This is a medical science argument. Issue. Life begins at conception. You don't have to agree with me. Scientifically and medically, this is a non negotiable fact. This is not a religious argument. Let me just give you one quote from Robert George, Princeton professor, former member of the President's Council on Bioethics. Here's what he said, and I quote Human embryos are not some other type of animal organism like like a dog or a cat. Neither are they part of an organism like a heart, a kidney, or a skin cell. Nor again are they a disorganized aggregate, a mere clump of cells awaiting some magical transformation. Rather, a human embryo is a whole living member of the species Homo sapien in the early stage of his or her natural development. Unless severely damaged or denied or deprived of a suitable environment, a human embryo uh, in the beginning in the embryonic stage will, by directing its own integral organic functioning, develop himself or herself to the next more mature developmental stage, i.e., the fetal stage. The embryonic fetal child in adolescent stages are stages in the development of a determinate and enduring entity, a human being who comes into existence as a single-celled organism called a zygote and develops, if all goes well, into adulthood many years later. So, is a human being, a human embryo, a person? The answer is yes. Amen. Life begins at conception. Amen. It may be a little person. It may not even look like a little person yet. But it's a person that is made in the image and likeness of God. And every mother who's ever had an ultrasound knows this. As a matter of fact, can I just tell you, that's why those who are pro-abortion fight against showing ultrasounds to pregnant women who are considering an abortion. Because they know it will affect their decision, as the truth always does, scientifically, medically. But let me give you a biblical proof that life begins at conception. Psalm 139, 13. You, referring to God, uh, excuse me, made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Me, in my mother's womb. You put me together, God. Verse 14, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Don't miss this. You saw me, verse 16, before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Every day. Isaiah and Jeremiah, two of the great Old Testament prophets, both tell us, read their story. They were called into the prophetic ministry from their mother's womb. They were set apart for prophetic ministry before they were even born. In the New Testament, before John the Baptist was even born, the fetus inside his mother was called a baby. It wasn't called a clump of cells. It wasn't called a zygote. It wasn't called anything. It was a baby. And it says that the baby leaped in her womb. It is estimated that over 4,300 babies are killed every day in the United States because of abortion. Planned Parenthood has aborted over 8.5 million babies since 1970. What an ironic name, Planned Parenthood, when really it's Planned Deathhood. Since Roe v. Wade in 1973, almost 64 million babies have been aborted. And by the way, you may not know this, but in Roe v. Wade, that baby wasn't even aborted. 97% of abortions are not because of rape or incest. That's always the argument. Well, what about rape and incest? Here, I'm going to make a deal with you. Why don't we deal with the 97% of of abortions that are not rape or incest first? Can we agree on that? Because I'll tell you what, I'll take 97% survival rate over 100% death rate any day. They occur simply because most abortions occur because the mother is overwhelmed. Or it feels inconvenient. Or a lot of times because because they're pressured by family members not to have a child. Here in Virginia, and here's where I'm going to get people mad at me. We've got a governor who on video stated that he supported abortion not only until the moment of delivery. But he actually said this. Look it up if you don't believe me. This is not a political statement. I'm giving you facts. And he's a physician. And he said he would allow a baby to be born and then if the mother wanted to have a conversation about not letting that baby stay alive, they would ignore that baby and let that baby die. That's not even abortion. That's infanticide. That's murdering an infant. That's murdering, that's murdering a baby. We're all, we all get worked up because they're going to come after our guns. What about how they've been coming after our babies? Wait the next two years, the abortion laws that they're going to start passing in this state, and we can't do anything about it now. And let me tell you this: standing in front of a clinic and shouting "baby killer" at these poor, confused girls is not the answer either. It's not the answer. I've seen people in the interest of life stand out in front of a clinic with a sickle and with all these mangled up pictures. You're not going to win an argument that way. You need to love people and pray for them. Show them the way. So what, so what can we do? Well, before I close my sermon, well, first of all, I'm going to say this. You need to vote right. You need to vote right. You need to quit voting in these pro-death politicians. I didn't, mention, I didn't mention party, so if you go there, it's because you're political and you're not biblical. But before I close my sermon, I've asked Sarah Denford to come up. Come on up here, Sarah. I forgot the name of your group. What's the name of it? Choice what? Choice Women's Centers. And I want her to share with you. Get the video ready, guys. I'm ready for the video. I want her to share with you for a few minutes, but before she does, I want her, we're gonna, I'm going to show you a video clip about somebody that they helped. And I want you to understand, we've got a table set up in the lobby, or we will have a table. Okay. We're going to have a table set up in the lobby where you can talk to her and get more information about what you can do to help. I think, and I'm going to be wrong, I think a lot of us as Christians, we feel passionate about this, but we don't know what to do. We're not bad people. We just don't know what to do other than stand up and hoot and holler about it. We can be proactive and we can get involved. There's ways we can do stuff to help. Sarah's going to talk to you about that briefly. But before she does, show this short video about a real person, real life. And when she mentions Sarah helped me, it's our Sarah. Go ahead and run the the video. Make sure they can hear it.
2: Um, my name is Candace Baker. Um, I'm from Newport News, Virginia, but I grew up in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, I have three babies, Jalen and Jayla, and Ava. Jalen is six, Jayla is five. Then I also take care of my two nieces, Santana and Mariah, um, who is ten and nine. I had them since they were babies. A little bit over a year now, I have moved here from Charlottesville. But once we moved here, We like hit rock bottom. There was no um, jobs for neither one of us. Uh, We didn't even know how we was gonna pay our bills. I found out I was pregnant. Um, So the first thing I did was reached out um, to the pregnancy center. I came here and basically you guys confirmed that I was pregnant. And I got scared and nervous and everything just started running through my brain that I didn't want to have my baby. Sorry, cause I can't believe I regret it. Regret getting pregnant, I didn't want her at all. So I I know I came to the pregnancy center at least three, four times trying to figure out what to do, how to like move forward from the situation I was at. Um, School was about to start. I didn't have no uh, way of getting the kid's school supplies, clothes, or anything. Um, So I met Sarah. I just remember Sarah because I felt so comfortable with her when I very first met her. She made me feel like I've been knowing her for years. And I felt like she just basically took me underneath her wing and just made me feel, feel better. I told her that the kids are about to start school and I didn't have no school supplies. So she was like, well, let me um, look into something and see if I can help you. I was like, okay. So I left. Like two, three days later, she called she said, um, come on in with the kids and I have something for you. And I came and brought, brought all my babies. Not only did she got them school supplies, but it was school supplies for the whole year. Each child had four or five outfits piece, two pairs of shoes. She wasn't born at the time, but my baby, diapers and wipes and cleaning supplies. Our eyes were so wide, we couldn't even believe like how much stuff that, I couldn't even believe how much stuff they had They had got. It definitely felt like Christmas. They made me feel like I was family, and I didn't have to turn and look nowhere else. And it, they did not just only help me with my pregnancy, they helped me with my whole entire family. I decided to keep my baby. If I would have terminated my pregnancy, I would have had to live with that for the rest of my life. So this is Ava Lewis. Um, she was born February 15, 2008. I would definitely recommend um, Pregnancy center first and just tell her, just hold on. There's people to have her back. This pregnancy center will definitely stick with me for the rest of my life.
0: Good morning. Um, What you don't know about Candace, (laughs) by the way, I'm a crier. (laughs) Um, is that her boyfriend was facing incarceration, and she felt utterly alone. And in case you didn't catch it in the video, um, she was taking care of her sister's two daughters. Um, she is not an irresponsible person. She is a compassionate, kind person that was willing to take on the load of others because she loves them. As our clients leave my center, um, they fill out an exit survey, and um, she was honest about how she felt. Um, She was there for abortion next steps, and we did not meet her needs. The truth that we offered was not what she wanted to hear. So we called her, (laughs) and we called her again, and we let her know that no matter what she chose, we cared for her. We wanted to find out, what do you need? How can we help? What What do we do now? What can we get you? How can we get you to the next place? And I'm not going to tell you the story, because you just heard it. Um, we had a church partner, a local church partner, that literally everything those kids needed, um, they just came through. They had backpacks and clothes, and it was beautiful. Um. I want to share one more thing about her story. Um, I followed up with her after we gave her the backpacks and we gave her the school supplies and the diapers and everything she needed. And um, she told me during that call, she said, I just want to let you guys know, you made me feel not so alone. If, If we can make a girl feel not so alone then we can change. I say this all the time at my center. If you save the girl, you save the baby. This, I had to learn some things when I got to my center. You know, I everybody's got lots of opinions on it, but the truth is I don't have to solve the debate to help people. You don't have to fix it. You, you go out, you do what you can, and then let everything else get sorted out. Your opinion helps no one. Your opinion doesn't give a diaper on a baby that needs it. Your opinion does not help a girl choose life. But do you know what does? Standing right here, saying, I will be right here. Let me have your hand. Let's do this. And I'm going to tell you, it's more than just about babies. It's about brothers and sisters and moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas who will never see their grandbaby. This is not this, it is about it is about communities and cities and states and countries. It is so much bigger than just this one little thing. This one thing it is huge and we don't understand the impact of it. We we tend to keep it in a small box instead of seeing it for what it really is it is generations missing it is and and we and and the the way that i ended up there i'm just going to say this real quick the way that i ended up there is because um you know everybody has an opinion and i thought god what can i do that's how i ended up there i was like you know we all have our opinions about all kinds of stuff but I'm tired of having an opinion. I want to help. And God, literally, it's a long story. I'll share it if you want it. But until then, i God led me to this place. And I got to meet Candace, And I got to meet all her beautiful kids. And if I ever get $10 million and I start a foundation, it will be called the Ava Foundation. After that baby, she's beautiful. <laughs> so there are pregnancy centers all across the U.S. Mine is in Fredericksburg. Um, The closest one that we have here is the Easton Pregnancy Center. It is the closest one to our church. It is also in need. It needs volunteers, and it needs help, and it needs finances, and it needs guys that will come in and paint and move furniture and help It needs men that are retired that will go be mentors to young men who have not a clue how to be a father. That is what it needs. And all of you can meet that need. Um, I'm just going to tell you really quickly, I will be in the back. You can Every religion, every creed is there. Because life is valuable. Either God is the giver of life or he's not. And we don't get to ch- pick and choose. We get to say, yes, he is, and then we have to fight for it. Uh, my, my center gives out, without question, diapers, wipes, and formulas. If you show up at our door, we will give it to you. You don't need to sh- do anything. You don't even need to show us ID. You could be totally lying about who you are. Um, free pregnancy test, free ultrasounds. I'm just going to say free because everybody helping everybody really isn't helping everybody. All of our services are free. And finally, um, we give post-abortion Bible studies to the men and women who have been wounded by abortion. And if you are one of those people, you know, nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about the men. Nobody talks about what happens later, 10 years, 20 years down the road. So I just want you to um, take a minute to prayerfully consider, how can I help my pregnancy center. If God is the giver of life, how do I help him defend it? And I would just encourage you to find a place in this battle, no matter how small it is. I have a lady at my um, center who comes, and I'm almost done, a lady at my center who comes faithfully, every Tuesday. Gail walks in, blue eyes. She's so sweet. And she gives me a hug, and she asks us for the laundry. And she cleans, she takes it all home, and she washes all the stuff, and she folds it neatly and brings it back every Wednesday. That is her ministry. That is what she does. And it's such a small thing. But do you know what? In the middle of a rough week, having Gail show up, and hug all of our necks and say give me the laundry and take it out again and bring it back to us, it is an encouragement to us. (laughs) So no matter how small you think you are, (laughs) you can do something. We have moms that are stay-at-home moms that show up and they bring their kids and they have all their kids and they donate diapers and all the kids come in and learn the value of life and they learn the value of giving. And so they write little cards. I mean, it's it's beautiful. Um, so if you need me, I'm back at the table, and I would love to have a conversation with you. God bless Life Church.
1: Why don't we all stand? Our church has been involved in some pregnancy centers before. We've supported the one in Fredericksburg, but I'm just going to tell you the truth. I want to get involved with this one that's right here in our community. I don't know what that's going to look like. Sarah's going to be our liaison initially. But if you want to get involved, I want you to see her at the table. This is brand new, but it's time for us to not just get up on our high horses and talk about abortion. We need to do something about it. Amen. So that might be volunteering. It might be giving money. Uh, I'm going to add that clinic to our missions campaign this year that we can support them financially. but I want us to pray. But right now, we've come to the end of our service. Every about, every eye closed, please. Some of you have been touched very closely by some of the issues I've talked about today. A member of your family has committed suicide or had an abortion. Maybe you are wrestling today with suicide maybe you've had an abortion and you've been suffering for many years nobody's looking around and I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand but I want us to begin to pray I want healing to flow in here like you did last Sunday some of you are hurting because you've lost somebody close to you some of you you're still grieving over a baby that didn't have a chance God heals and God forgives and God restores. We've heard testimony after testimony from people. And Jesus can heal. So you can open your eyes, look up. I'm going to open this altar and here's what I want us to do. I want all of us to come and here's what I'm going to tell you why. Because I want some of us that are coming You're coming because you need healing. From an abortion, you need healing. From suicide that's touched your life. And you need God just to touch you and restore you. But I don't want to single you out and embarrass you. So I want you to come with the rest of our family. And the rest of our church family, I want you to pray and ask the Lord, God, if you want me to be involved in this issue, and let me just tell you, not everybody has to be involved in this issue. This is not a guilt complex There's lots of things we can do to create a culture of life in the kingdom of God. So I'm not here to guilt anybody. But I know God is talking to a lot of people today in this room about getting involved. So I want all of us as a family, why don't we step out. Let's come to this altar and we're going to pray together before we close this service. Can we do that? it just about abortion. Dana works with with mothers in in the NICU people that are struggling and they've got new babies and they're facing a whole different type of challenges. This is all part of a culture of life and they've got volunteers and they, she's got a group called a mother's keeper where they try to help uh, mothers with that are in challenging situations with with newborns. see it doesn't just stop at the clinic. This carries on through. So, Dana, somebody else you can talk to. If you have a minute, maybe you can go to the table with Sarah. She's somebody else you can talk to to get involved. Life Church, there's a way. And I just want us to be a church that doesn't just talk about this stuff, but we do something about it. Amen? Thank you, Dana. Why don't we begin to pray right now? Let's begin to ask God to heal and God to touch our community right now in the name of Jesus. Can we do that? Lift your hands, Father. <laughs> yes, God. I, first, I want to begin. I want to begin with those women that are suffering in silence, many of them. They've had abortion. Some of them didn't even want it to happen, but they live with it every day of their life. I want you to heal them. I want you to restore them. I want you to comfort them. I want you to speak healing into their life and restoration. Wrap your arms around them, Lord God. Let them feel the love of God. We reject condemnation reject the lies of the enemy we reject those lies and we receive healing in Jesus name we receive healing in Jesus name God I pray Lord and I ask you God to to touch all the single parents and the mothers and the ministries that minister like Thrive right here Chuck and Carol bless them as they minister to single mothers and their children God we, we just need to be involved in the harvest God, we speak for those that are hurting because they lost a family member to suicide. We don't pretend to know the answers, but God, heal them. Set them free from guilt. Set them free from the pain. Touch them today. And Lord, right now, we humble ourselves and we pray that you will heal our land. Come on, church family, help me pray. This culture of death that has invaded our country, God, God, heal our land heal our land heal our land Lord help us to value life not just life in the womb but life outside of the womb help us to value the life of our seniors and our, our mentally ill and, and our physically handicapped help us God not to discard life or to devalue to, to life God help us to love and to do all that we can do Lord, foster parents that are standing in the gap. Bless them today. Adopted parents and parents that are adopting children, bless them today. Bless them, God, because they value life. Help them, Lord. Give them the resources and the comfort and the strength that they need. We ask it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Sustain. Let's just begin to worship with the praise team for a moment as we pray. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, That's it. Just talk to him. Just talk to the Lord.